0: Our scripture reading today is found in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is given, is born. To us a child is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. About a month ago, I needed a Christmas sermon. So I started looking at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and it has become probably four sermons before I'm done. It is just so rich, and there is so many beautiful promises um, and ideas that we can find in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Today we're going to just specifically look at Prince of Peace. Several decades ago, there was a missionary named Don Richardson, who went to the Sa'i people of New Guinea. The Sa'i were a tribe of violent headhunters and cannibals. They applauded the highest form of treachery, for which for them was to fatten up their enemies with friendship and eating together, then deceiving them, and then those enemies would become the victim Victims that they would slaughter and eat. Can you imagine? Would you come over for dinner? The greatest heroes were those who were the most ruthless and treacherous in their betrayals of others. Well, when Don Richardson and his team began to tell the stories about Jesus, the stories of the gospel, guess who the hero was? Judas became their hero. Judas was the one they wanted to emulate and fix their thoughts upon. Because of his treachery and betrayal with a kiss, they all began to do that. Can you imagine? Try to betray each other with a kiss. So the missionaries struggled. How would they ever get these people to understand the faithfulness And the unconditional love of God. How in the world could they connect these people with the truth about Jesus? How could they make the gospel tangible and understandable and communicate the glory of God's love to these people in this culture? This is what they discovered they discovered that in the Sawi Sawi tribes, there was an ancient tradition that when two tribes were at war with one another, the way that they would establish peace would be giving the firstborn son to go and live in the opposite tribe, the tribe of their enemy. Now, I cannot imagine giving my firstborn To be raised and nurtured and brought up with someone who was my enemy, because we want to just protect our kids and make sure everything turns out all right with them. If the chief entrusted his firstborn son, then the the other tribe would also do the same, and somehow in raising that son, they decided not to fight with each other. By sending the child over, it was something like a peace offering. In fact, they called the child a peace child. And the book is by that name, Peace Child. As long as that child lived, there would be no war between the two tribes. Well, Don Richardson began to see the analogy of the gospel of what Jesus did. How he was sent from heaven to establish peace and to bring reconciliation between God and man. And as he used the story of the peace child, many of the Sawi people finally understood. Christ is God's peace child. He is the solution to the problem of sin and evil and brokenness in our world. He is God's way of bringing peace. Jesus left the perfect peace that we were singing about this morning. He was already there. He was already surrounded by perfect peace, and he left it to live in our village on this war-torn planet. He dropped right into the front lines of a war zone. And if you watch the news about Ukraine, you have a picture of what the front lines look like. And he, he became where temptation could reach him and wrench his heart And you think about him struggling in Gethsemane, a struggle that he would never have faced if he had just stayed in heaven. He sweat blood, and that definitely was not a peaceful night. Even though he was tempted like us, Jesus lived in perfect obedience to God's law and his Father's will. And can we have pictures? There we go. And here it tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are. Okay, is that peaceful to be tempted? Absolutely not, not unless you give in to it. And then it's not peaceful afterwards. No man could accuse him of sin even though he was tempted like as we are every way. What that says to me is he struggled against sin a lot harder than we do. He struggled very hard because the enemy had Jesus as his primary target. And I don't know how many demons were probably assigned to Jesus' case, but probably Lucifer, the chief of the demons himself, took him on and said, I'm going I'm to take this guy one on one. Jesus did not have an easy, peaceful existence with no trouble. And when you read the Gospels, you see that he constantly had people that were mad at him. We once had a man in our church who didn't like some of the things we were doing. And so he said, Colette, I wish you could be more like Jesus. I said, Okay, I wish I could be too. And then he said, He never made anyone upset. Hello! (laughs) I said, read the Gospel of John. It's one fight from start to finish as these people were just trying to take him down. He was the Prince of Peace, but his life was not perfectly peaceful. It was because that he was peaceful, even in the vortex of this war with evil. He met trouble with dependence upon God and complete obedience. And in the process, he provided peace for us. He did what none of us could ever do and live that life of peace in the midst of a war. So our scripture this morning, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, gives four names of God that would be applied to Jesus, the Messiah who would be born. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. All four of these names had already in the Old Testament been applied to Yahweh himself. So what this verse says is that Jesus, this Messiah, this baby to be born, would be divine would be God. The son that would be born would be as fully God as the father. And that last name, Prince of Peace, is a beautiful name. In Hebrew, the name Prince of Peace is Sar Shalom. So let's start with the word Shalom first. Now if you grew up in the 60s, we used to Sing that song, Shalom, my friends, shalom, shalom, my friends, shalom. So that is the word for peace. Shalom carries the idea of flourishing, of wholeness, of well-being. It is not just about no war or no fighting. It means being complete and being content and being surrounded by people you love and having all of your desires contentedly met in God. It's not just the end of war and the end of animosity. It is full flourishing and full well-being. What a beautiful word. In every dimension and in every relationship, nothing broken, everything restored to God's original purpose. Beyond the cessation of war, shalom is a transformation of the conditions that lead to war in the first place. If we were all living with shalom, there would never need to be a war. We'd have no reason to fight. It is peace that comes from living, knowing that God is smiling, knowing that God loves you. So do you remember the blessing that Aaron taught the Israelites to use with each other. What a beautiful blessing. We could pray this every week, and I would never get tired of it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Give you peace. Okay, and in the New Testament you often find Paul beginning and ending his letters with grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Exactly the same concept. That you're not just hoping that they're not fighting with anybody. You're hoping that everything in their life is according to God's plan and that they're being blessed full up to where there's no more blessing that can be poured in upon them. When we are in a right relationship with God, when the face of God is turned toward us in blessing and grace, the result is peace. Neil Plantinga wrote a wonderful little book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. His definition of shalom goes like this Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all of creation in justice, fulfillment, And delight. So along with shalom comes joy. And boy, we could all use a little more of that, right? That shalom that brings delight and joy. We call it peace, but it means far more than peace of mind or a ceasefire. In the Bible, shalom means the universal flourishing, wholeness, and joy. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Okay, I want to be there. I want to live that shalom. I want to experience it. But the word prince is a bit more problematic. Our English translations don't quite know how to capture the irony of the title Prince of Peace. Because a tsar, a prince, is not a friendly title in the Old Testament. Sar has a militaristic overtone. It meant a tyrant or a warlord that was actively waging war. So, you put those two things together, prince and peace, and you get this idea that Jesus is actively fighting to bring peace. For us. That it's not passive. It's, it's warfare to be able to bring us peace and keep us peaceful. And some of you that are trying to stay peaceful, don't you know that it's warfare? You know? And the battlefield is our minds. That's where the battles are fought. There is spiritual warfare every time we try to be peaceful in an unpeaceful kind of situation. Jesus is the warlord of peace. Wow. And when we see Jesus waging war in the book of Revelation, and you see him riding the white horse, and he's dipped in blood, and there's blood everywhere, he is fighting for us. And he is fighting our enemies To bring about peace. Sometimes you have to go through the battle to get to the peaceful end. He is fighting evil for our sake. He's finishing the war so we can have shalom. And even the punishment of the wicked. It's not because God wants to see them suffer. It's because he wants to take care of the problem. So that then we can live with shalom. And as Jesus arrived on planet Earth, the Roman Empire was in its heyday. How did the Roman Empire become strong? Through brute force, right? It was the Iron Empire because it stomped and trampled and trampled everything that stood in its way by military might, brute force, political oppression. And we see that in the news today that you've got these countries that are kind of flexing their muscles, saying, Look how strong we are, and would you like a nuke? You know, and you're just going, No, please, please don't go there. Rome established what was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But did it really establish peace? Was everyone truly experienced tranquility? Under Rome, not a chance. The famous philosopher Epicatius, a contemporary of Luke, observed this. While the emperor may give from war give peace from war on land and sea he is unable to give peace from passion grief and envy rome could not keep people from dying could not keep people's hearts from being broken he cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace okay so we cannot count on our government to give us peace in our hearts. You know, Biden could throw thousands and thousands and millions and billions of more dollars toward it. But peace in our hearts is an inside job. And only God can do that. Only the Prince of Peace can do that. Pax Romana was a political slogan, but not a concrete reality. Part of the reason they have not succeeded at bringing peace is that their methods of achieving and maintaining peace were cruel and tyrannical. You can't bring peace with war. They're mutually exclusive. So the world wearily waited for true peace to come. And in the Christmas story, we have this really interesting passage where the angels come out of heaven and they start announcing to the shepherds and it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared. Okay, the very words, a great company of the heavenly host. That's military. That's talking about an army, an army of God that were sent to make this announcement. And then this angel, they were praising God with the host of angels behind them, says, Glory to God in the highest, and what? on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests so that's why christmas has been traditionally a time when we think about peace is because it was announced from the birth of this tiny baby that he would bring peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests so this is where it gets especially odd How will our prince of peace, this warlord of peace, establish it? Will he do it in the same way every other world leader has done it in the past? Remember, mankind basically declared war against God when Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden. Since then, we have rejected God's way of building a better world. And you you can see, again in the news, how human beings think that they can build a better world. We do egregious things in the name of making the world better. They establish governments that are built on lies and threats and murders and atomic weapons. And they think all that will bring peace. How's it working for you? And and what I find is I'm just, I've never been so aware of how many lies are being told by people in great power, just all the way across the line. Instead of becoming a bloodthirsty tyrant, Jesus was born with the very purpose not to shed others' blood, but to give his own to establish peace with his own blood. And this was completely unprecedented with any other earthly king or ruler. And so in Colossians 1.20 we find, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, By making peace. And how does he make peace? According to that verse. Through his blood shed on the cross. It is his blood that makes peace possible. This instantly sets him apart from those human rulers whose reign depends on a bloody conquest of winning the war. Instead, the rule of Christ depends upon what he did in our behalf as our substitute. So how is it that Jesus brings shalom? He brings it by giving his own shalom away. By leaving heaven and coming to earth and dying which is this, on a cross, which is about as far from shalom as we can imagine. He brings peace by suffering as our substitute, and as the representative for his people, and by bearing our sins, which again is the opposite of shalom, and on the cross, that his death was the price of our peace, his death was the cost of shalom. So what enables him to do this? Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this, He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. He's substituting his perfect life for our sinful life. And then it says, the punishment that what? Brought us peace was upon him. He bought our peace by taking the punishment. And then it says, and by his wounds we are healed because of the cross, Jesus is able to give us peace as a gift. We can never buy it. We can never earn it. We can never do enough mind work to be peaceful. It only comes as a gift. In John 14, 27, Jesus promised, my peace I give I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. I'm not going to take it back. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Okay, so if you have peace on this Sabbath day, know that it is the gift of God. And if you have it, praise him for it. If you experience shalom in any way in your life, Thank him, because he paid for it. If he were just an example, we would have reason to be very discouraged, because none of us can stay peaceful. All of us get upset from time to time. But instead, he says, I bought the peace, now I'm giving it to you. He came not only to demonstrate peace, he came to give it as a gift, And here's what is just so amazing, is this peaceful Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes and lives in my hostile and unforgiving heart and says, okay, now, let me help you with this. I'm going to live right within you. I'm going to help how you think. I'm going to help how you feel. I'm going to give you peace by giving you myself. By giving my spirit to live right there, right within you. We cannot conjure up peace. We can only receive it as a gift. And that gift is Jesus Christ. But once we have the presence of Christ, and once we are constantly aware of his kingdom, his power, and his might, he is the prince, remember. He's actively fighting for it. He's the active champion of peace. The word "sar" prince, denotes a hands-on leader. Kings sit on their throne and just judge. Princes go out into the battle. All right? He denotes himself as being still actively involved as fighting to bring peace to us, as trying to chase and and fight with those demons that torment us and those situations that would unnerve us and make us feel horrible. He's trying to fix things. He fights for peace and reconciliation. It is justice and righteousness, not military strength, that will make our world secure. And we'll never have it until he reigns supremely on this world. But here's the good news. We know the end of the story. God wins, right? Love and peace will get the last word. His love and peace can take possession of our hearts even before the war against evil is committed is completed. Okay? So what this says is we can have his peace even on the front lines. Even in battle. Even in the middle of a mess. His peace can come and help us. We can experience this peace even while our lives and our world is still at war. Ephesians 2.14 tells us, For he himself is our peace. When you read about Jesus in the gospel, you see peace lived out despite those constant conflicts with the enemies. Jesus' very nature was peaceful. He didn't yell, it says in Isaiah. He never raised his voice. He was not aggressive. Despite the constant badgering and plotting, he exhibits this persistent tranquility and calm and when you see him acting like that you need to ask how did he do that how did he do that it's because he had the struggle and the fight on the mountain on his knees as he worked it all through with his father he if we want to act like Jesus in public we have to act like Jesus in private and that means we need to pray that it's not going to just happen that we're as nice as Jesus. We have to take the time to do that struggle with him, just like Jesus had to go and be with his father and absorb his father's strength and values. And then he carried it into the world. All right. Jesus met each attack with gentle wisdom. So if he's living in our hearts, he should be able to help us meet every attack. With gentle wisdom. I want that. Oh, how I want that. I want His peace to not be a once in a while thing in my life. I want it to be constant. I want it to define who I am. That His peace lives in my heart and reigns in my heart. Oh, how I would turn the page, (laughs) love to be like Jesus. So you see this in John 11 verses 8 and 16, because he wants to go and raise Lazarus from the dead, and his disciples are are kind of upset about this because he knows it's not safe anymore. It's so close to the time that Jesus will be crucified, and his enemies are really whipped up into a pretty strong frenzy. So this is what the disciples said, but Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you. And you're going back there? Like, what's wrong with you? Why are you walking right into their trap? And then Thomas says with the rest of the disciples, okay, let's go. Let's just go die with him. Okay, are they peaceful? They're worried about their future. Is Jesus worried about his future? No, because he knew the plan and he had decided on that plan with the Father and with the Spirit before the foundation of the world. He firmly embraced God's will and he knew his role in it. He even knew the timing. And you find throughout the Gospel of John this little dance where Jesus says, My time has not yet come. And finally, he comes right down to the cross. And finally, he says, the hour has come. Time's up. Now it's time to do this thing. Okay, he knew the plan and he knew the timing. He was not a martyr. He was a sacrifice. There's a great big difference. He was willing and he purposely walked toward the cross. His life is the definition of being peaceful when life is not, holding that peace inwardly when the world around you is pretty hostile. It's not the absence of conflict and trouble. It's dependence upon God and surrender to his will. Ephesians 2.15 tells us that when he, he became our peace, he was able to bring together the Jews and the Gentiles who had always been hostile to each other and break down the dividing wall of hostility. You all know what that is, right? That in the temple in Jerusalem, there was actually a wall built that says, if you're a Gentile and you pass this point, we'll kill you. The wall of hostility. That's incredible. Okay? And he broke down that wall of hostility. He abolished in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Now that's not the idea that the law doesn't count anymore. He abolished the penalty of breaking the law. He said, okay, I'm going to pay for this, your sins, myself. His purpose was to create in himself one new man of the two thus making peace. So one of the reasons Jesus died is to help us to get along with people who are very different than we are. Part of the reason Jesus died was to help us see that we are no better than any other human being and that we will never lock eyes with a single man or woman or child that Jesus doesn't already love. He broke down the wall of hostility and helped us to live out that peaceful mindset toward whoever we come in contact with. And it tells us exactly how he did this. And in one body to reconcile both of them, both the Jews and the Gentiles, to God through the cross by which he put death their death to host- put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. So the cross is what kills hostility. And if you are struggling, when you, if there's somebody, Mark asked me last night, is there anybody you'd consider your enemy? If you're struggling and you, your enemies have names, take it to the cross. Look at Jesus. Look at how he treated his enemies. And what did he say as they're nailing him to the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. All right. Prince of Peace is not just about warm, fuzzy feelings radiating from God to humans, but this active, muscular, real-life peace that Jesus took on himself to protect the weak from the strong. And it's a peace he calls us to participate in. So Colossians 1 verses 19 and 20 tells us, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, thus making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If you need more peace, think more about what Jesus did for you. Soak in it, that unconditional love of what he did. He gave us our peace, not by numbing us, but by forgiving and healing us and enfolding and encircling us with his love and life. And this I love this because it says he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body. And will present you, what? Holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. That's who you are in the sight of God because of what Jesus did for you. Without blemish and free from accusation. Well, if you really believed that about yourself, you probably wouldn't be picking fights. Right. If you really absorb that truth, you'd be saying, Jesus did so much for me, how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I love you? How can I get this word out that he is our peace? Look what he did for me. Okay. It's not because of our perfect performance, but because of his death in our place. That's what brings peace with God. So in Isaiah 9-7, it describes what this government will be like that this Prince of Peace will establish. First of all, it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Okay, do governments come and go? We watched that in the House of Representatives this week, right? A, a government coming and going. And What I am learning, and it's never even crossed my mind before, that the place of the U.S. as the strongest and fairest and most wonderful country in the world, the one that leads the world, is not guaranteed. We're reading this book by Ray Dalio. If you've been handed that book, know that we're all struggling. It's called The The Changing World Order, And for the first time in my life, I've seriously considered that my privileged status as a U.S. citizen of the most powerful and prosperous nation on the earth is not guaranteed. There may be other world orders coming. Nations rise and fall. But here is the news about the government of God, of the increase of his government and his peace. Will it ever end? No, it says, there will be no end. And it also says he'll establish it. He'll hold it up. He'll hold it together with what? Justice and righteousness and transparency and letting us participate in seeing why he's doing what he's doing. That's the whole idea of the investigative judgment. From that time on, and then the last word of this passage is important. And forever. That should make us feel secure. That's what's coming. The kingdom of God will only rise. There will be no pockets of rebellion. There will be no infiltrators planning a coup. Nahum nine has a promise. It says, whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. He knows how to just stop it. And after he's let sin play out at this point, he's not going to have to do that again. He will bring it to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. Yeah, that once we have this peace that Christ initiates, we will have it forever. It's not going anywhere. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. There's three words that describe his kingdom. Just, righteous, and eternal. Lovely. No need for propaganda. No need for false narratives about what's going on or why. No need to lock people up who tell the truth. No need to push people out of windows or torture them to get them to say what you want them to say. No need to threaten nuclear warfare The threat of nuclear warfare will be forever gone. No need for party politics and lobbyists and perjury. It will be completely just and completely righteous. Okay, When your head aches and your heart breaks for the state of our nation and the state of our world, take the long. The really long view, look beyond the Sunday law, look beyond the mark of the beast, and think about the kingdom of God. We can't stop short, because if we do, we won't have his peace. It's only as we know where we're headed, this trajectory that human history is on, we are going to get to experience this. And that's, that's just so wonderful. This should make us hopeful people, patient people, peaceful people, just people, righteous people. We should live following in the footsteps of our Prince of Peace. And the things that he really cares about, like injustice, we should care about them too. If we see indication that something's going on that would make him really frustrated, we need to get involved. But in the end, verse 7 finishes with a statement that might even seem a little like an afterthought. It says, The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So who's responsible for bringing this peace? Peace. Does it happen when the church gets its act together and and everybody's perfect finally? No. What happens? Who makes this peace come to planet Earth and the universe? The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. God wants to bring this peace. This is what he wants to do. That's what he's zealous about. That's what he talks about. If you were to have a conversation with Jesus at this very moment, he would be talking about his kingdom and the peace he wants to bring to us. And by the way, the name Lord Almighty is there in that verse. That means the God of armies, which means he has the troops to be able to pull this war off effectively and successfully. He's not going to have to conscript anybody, but boy, if you want to sign up to be on his side, that's a good idea. Right? He doesn't need to do anything but call out the angel armies that are already at his command. Daniel 7 verse 10 says, Thousands upon thousands attended him." Ten thousands times 10,000 stood before him. Have you ever thought about how many angels are there to do his bidding? And if you really thought about the fact that they do everything he tells them to do, and he is the Prince of Peace, would you be worried about your own safety? Or would you just say, Here, I'm trusting that you're going to send the help I need when I need it. Okay, that's pretty amazing. He has the troops to make his passion our reality. It's going to happen. Isaiah 9-7 is going to be what we get to experience. So let's just bring it home by how we get there. Isaiah 26, verse 3 promises us, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Okay, we have this Prince of Peace. He wants us to think about him. He wants us to dwell upon him, meditate upon him, and put him behind any other situation in our life. Put a backdrop of the cross who died for you. Behind anything else that might be horrible that you're going through. And it's really interesting that in the Hebrew language... Now, when we want to emphasize something in English, what do we do? We put it in caps, or we bold it, or we make the print bigger. You know what they did in Hebrew? They would just repeat it. And so what this verse really says is, you will keep him in shalom, shalom. And that's what's interpreted perfect peace. You will keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you. And the Hebrew for stayed means leaning, putting your full weight upon Jesus. The whole weight of your life, the whole burden of your life, every tough, hard, crappy thing, you put the weight of that upon Jesus because we can trust in him. And he's the Prince of Peace. So, walking with him day by day, we can learn to value what he values. We can start to actually get actively involved in bringing his peace to the world by sharing who Jesus is and what he has done with the world. We can trust him. We can trust his promises. And we can know that his zeal will bring about the shalom, shalom, that we really need and want. So Happy New Year, my friends. One last verse. I love this. Second Thessalonians three sixteen. It says, Now may the Lord of peace himself, Jesus himself, give you peace. And then I love how this is described. At all times and in every way. That's what he can do. This Prince of Peace can bring us peace. At all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all.